Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash gender meowster and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. Content warnings for this episode include dysphoria, anti-trans experiences, and mental health. Genderful would like to acknowledge the indigenous peoples and unceded lands that the producers, hosts, and guests live and have dwelt upon. Today, we honor the Coast Salish. And then for me, the Duwamish, Susquamish, and Stillaguamish. And apologies if I mispronounced any of those. We honor the elders, the human, plant, and animal ancestors of these lands, and celebrate the living descendants of these peoples. May all beings tend these lands for the goodness of the next seven generations and beyond. So, Maddie folks, I'm Gender Master. I use they, them pronouns. I'm a transmasculine, non-binary, disabled, autistic, ADHD, all kinds of fun things, content creator. And I'm going to let my illustrious guest introduce <laughs> herself. Hello, I am Jesse Gender. You may know me from the U-Tubs, where I do video essays on LGBTQ topics, science fiction, nerddom, geekdoms, and then also whatever's on my mind that day. I'm transgender. I'm a trans woman. I'm also non-binary, autistic, all many wonderful things as well. And I'm also joined, you probably can't see him, I won't see him too much, but I'm also joined by my cat Newt, who uses he, him pronouns and is currently hiding on my lap. So he is with us today as well. That's wonderful. <laughs> My furry co-host is Nefertiti. She's sleeping in what I call the sidecar. She's in like a cat <laughs> bed right here next to Aww. me. But I, I cannibalized the cat cam to be my camera today. So no cat cam today. New always likes to hang out just below camera line. Uh -huh. So it's just like, it's just like, oh, you, you don't even, you don't even get to capitalize on the cat. You're just like, I'm just going to hang out right off camera. <laughs> yeah, that's so cute. Oh my gosh. So fun. So Jesse, there's a couple questions that I like to ask all of my guests. So I want to start with those yeah. but yeah i'm so thrilled to have you here for those who didn't know we ran into each other at trans pride and i about pooped my pants because i'm like <laughs> in a booth like you know tabling for gender master and then you walked up and i was like wait what <laughs> i just saw like oh look twitch people these are my yeah. people and yeah, i yeah. like i beelined over there and i was like hi hello <laughs> and my friend who was in the booth with me didn't know, know who you were and so yeah. i was like oh my god Anyway, it's still always weird. It weirds no, it weirds me out too when I when people recognize me. I was at a gay girl con this weekend, and there were people that came. I was just like, "Are you Jesse?" And I'm like, "Yes, hi." <laughs> it's totally cool. It's just it's always just I always still see myself as like a weird dork on the internet who no one should watch. <laughs> so, yeah. So it always make it always feels strange for people to recognize me. So that never goes away. Good to know. <laughs> no, it never does. And if it does, then I feel like that's an even bigger problem. <laughs> yeah, totally. That was such a delight. And I gave you my super cool business card and we exchanged emails. And now here we are. How fun for us. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a, I'm excited. Glad to be on if I can get words out correctly. <laughs> yeah. So we have a lot of topics today for those who haven't read all the stuff we've written about it. We're going to talk about gender, Star Trek and gender, science fiction and gender, and if you are willing to indulge me, maybe a little bit about content creating. Um, of course. All topics I that some... I know absolutely nothing about. <laughs> I definitely know there's some folks in the chat with some questions about that. So I want to make sure there's some time. So first of all, what are some things that you, if you look back at your youth, that indicated you might be gender diverse one day? Oh, God. So it's 
You know, it's interesting. It's something that I'm like, I keep having different relationships to as I go throughout my life and like looking back and seeing different elements of like, oh, this feels like at least that, you know, you always like reframe stories in your life to where you're at now. So like for me, a lot of it was what we would say is like dysphoria, but like anxiety around like my place in my own body, starting to like look at girls in my class and being having like a jealousy, not of like them as a person, but like the lives that they got to lead. And like that always sort of resonated with like something that I was feeling anxiety about. Clothing was always a big thing. And yeah, it was just a constant feeling of not fitting into the box that I felt that I was supposed to. And like the way that they came out when I was a little kid, I always like to tell the story because it's cute in retrospect, less so to live it at the time, but cute in retrospect and feels like it fits to so many things. But I used to go to a preschool, like aftercare school thing. And I would always bet the girls in the class that I, that like we would play a game of tag. And if I lost the game of tag, I would have to put on a dress like that's the way I, that's my punishment for losing. And I would always like, oh, no, I got tagged. And I would go into the bathroom, put on this like very elaborate, like dress up dress, like princess dress or whatever that they had there and just like enjoy being in it for a minute and then have to step outside of the bathroom and then immediately be laughed at because like that was the it was like, oh, like it's funny, haha, boy in a dress sort of thing. And so it was like this interesting, you know, again, not as much fun to live it, but like this feeling of like gen- what I would describe now as gender euphoria immediately followed up by humiliation and laughter at that feeling and having to hide it. And so like I look at that and it feels like a microcosm of like the way that uh, a lot of my early life went, right? Like it's hiding this euphoria and this thing that makes me happy, usually through clothing. Like I used to steal my, my mom is a bit of a hoarder and she like has a lot of clothing. So she wouldn't miss if I stole clothing and hide it under my bed and would wear it when she wasn't there. And that sort of euphoric feeling. But then if I ever like try to display that in real life, kind of getting humiliated. And I have more stories that I could go into about like, I used to, in in one of the plays in my high school years, I got to play like a grandmother character for comedy. And again, that sort of going to this thing of like the public displays of me wearing a dress and things were seen as like comedic, but then also me personally, it was super cathartic and euphoric. So yeah, those are just some like early stories in my life of like recognizing that I didn't like fit into the gender box that I was told to be. So you went from like hiding your mom's clothes under your bed and like (laughs) getting tricked into trying on outfits in school to being this like... I don't know. I would say fairly self-actualized trans femme, <laughs> gender wonderful, non-binary trans person now. Gender wonderful. I love that yeah. phrase. That's what genderful phrase. is. It's a portmanteau of gender and wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, yeah. I didn't hear it. As, I didn't, you recognize that as like subconsciously, but then I just sort of, when you say it, I was like, oh, I like that. That's a yeah, wonderful phrase. It's a really good one. I like it a lot too. Actually, it was actually a trans friend in grad school that came up with that phrase. They, he told me, God is genderful because I was oh. in the super like bleeding leftist edge. Like, ev- like, yeah, it was seminary, but basically everyone was trans or queer. Like there was maybe two cis people in the incoming class of 50. It was just, the whole thing was so queer. <laughs> what was the, what was it? My brother always used to tell me he went to a, he's my stepbrother and he went to a Catholic high school and he was like, there's nothing that makes an atheist faster than Catholic school. Yeah. <laughs> <they say>. yeah. <laughs> that sort of thing. Same sort of idea it feels like. <laughs> yeah. 
So anyways, I'm pagan now. That's a whole story. It's on my medium if anyone is like, oh, I want to hear that story. But we're here to talk about you today. How has your relationship with gender evolved over time? I mean, obviously you have a piece of content about FFS and what that was like, but just in general, how did you get where you are now? It's interesting because like uh, it's it's still evolving now and it's something that I'm like I, I'm recognizing that like a lot of what I'm working on like content wise now is sort of like recognizing where I'm at in my own evolution with gender but to like go back like a lot of it was like attempting to live up to this ideal of masculinity as a kid that I wanted to that, that I was told to like exude and be and so I would like I joined Boy Scouts and I was a Boy Scout camp counselor and I loved doing that. But there was also this like part of it that was like this desire to like live up to this idea of being a, the boy that I should be. And I even became an Eagle Scout. So like, I feel like I, I won being a boy. That's always how I say when it's like Eagle Scouts, like I think I got the badge of like good boy, the good boy for, yeah. for that. Uh, not to diminish, like I think it's a, I mean, Boy Scouts is an institution, its own problem. But in terms of getting an Eagle Scout badge, I think is for me, it was a very, it was a very meaningful accomplishment and for many others too. So that was like a lot of my younger years, but then also like, and I think a lot of like trans women relate to this, like not really ever feeling like I fit into that box of being a boy and never being able to live up to it enough and always being seen as like the feminine one, or they always like, oh, you must be gay because you like, you don't, you're not like this manly man. And so I, that started being explored through like my also my relationship to my gender. And as I talked about before, my cl like clothing was a big way to explore it for me. And but also just like wanting to be seen as a girl. And then when I hit college and there was always this feeling of this. But when I hit college, I dealt with a lot of trigger warning for issues of like depression and mental health, just to talk about this for a second. But I got really depressed and even more harmful thoughts at that time as well that I won't go deep into. Just I'm happy to talk about, but I don't want to get too dark into it for the audience. But it was just a really hard time. And at that time, I met my first like close queer friends and finally came out to them at that time because it was either I come out or I do something worse. Cause I remember around that same time, I would like go to Walmart that was in our town and just like walk around the edges of the women's clothing section. And be like, all you have to do is just to like, just, you could just go pick up a piece of clothing and go into the dressing room and wear it just to capture that feeling of what I was talking about before of just being able to express myself even privately. Because when I was in college, you have a roommate. And so I couldn't even do it privately anymore because I didn't want to be caught by my roommate. And my roommate was wonderful, an amazing person, but obviously just don't want anyone to know. But I finally came out to my friends and that was absolutely wonderful. And they really accepted me and allowed me to experiment and explore. And my first inclinations coming out for the first few years, and I can, there's a whole bunch of nitty gritty I go into, but my first relationship with my gender coming out was like being hyper femme like over the top, like makeup, the like dresses all the time to the point of like, I actually learned to do makeup at the time from a lot of drag queens. <laughs> so it was like very yeah. extra makeup that like, for me, I looked at myself and I'm like, this is the most me I've ever been. But also it's like, there's a, it, it like goes into that idea of the performance of femininity and femininity is always seen as a performance no matter what you do, but, but like the hyper edge of it, the hyper feminist of it. And as I've grown throughout the years, I and become more confident like, hey, I'm a woman. And I, that doesn't mean that I need to express it in like hyper femme ways to like validate that my womanhood. I've become much more 
like open with how I express myself and not needing to be hyper femme all the time, but just being myself. And then that happens to be expressed in often femme ways, but sometimes not femme ways. But as I've grown over the past few years, I, I've identified, I identified mostly on the binary as trans women, but over the past like five years or so since being out, I've grown more and more attached to being considered, you know, in the umbrella term of non-binary, but for me, sort of gender fluid demi woman. And which means I sort of have an affinity more for, you know, femme things being closer uh, aligned with womanhood, but not necessarily always being stuck there or in one place. And as I've continued in my journey and over the past like year or so, one of the things that I've been exploring and I'm finding like more and more is being articulated in the stuff that I write and make is that understanding how much these like clearly delineated boxes, like needing to ascribe a label and have that label be prescriptive, like saying like this label fits me and this is the box that I fit into based on this label. Even if we get more and more minute, like, hey, I'm a gender fluid, demi woman, trans woman, femme presenting, like we can get more and more like specific, but those words still feel like they're trying to like capture an experience that itself has no bounds. And so just more and more over the past few, like past year or two, really coming to understand how, you know, I feeling more comfortable being with this idea that gender itself is an ever evolving concept, both within myself and in our world. And the attempts to try to limit it in ways is what's ultimately harmful to all of us and say those words are prescriptive. So it's why you see like in a lot of my work, like going after people, like horrible anti-trans people being like this, the language defines biological reality and saying like, no, that's nonsense. Words are helpful to describe us, but not prescriptive. Yeah. So that's the sh trying to be the short answer to that question. I think that's a wonderful answer, Jesse. Thank you. You know, it's also, I feel like, important to talk about how gender identity changes over time, even once you've come out as gender mm -hmm. diverse in some... Yeah. Like, I came out as non-binary and then four years later decided I wanted testosterone. And yeah. like, being non-binary and not on HRT was totally valid as an identity. And now being on HRT is also valid for my identity. And it's like, uh, it's so cool. I don't know. It's such an interesting thing. It is really cool. Like, this is just the thing that I'm thinking, because again, I'm just, this is currently what I'm thinking about and might be doing a video on in the next, like, probably not right immediately, but in the next few months is exploring like that idea of like non-binary identity as like a, what it's considered to be a middle place, but it's not. It's a place where like so much diversity happens. And, uh, you know, for me, non-binary was like, the end destination for my journey and like I went like from one binary to the other binary because thinking that's what how like it should go and then sort of exploring beyond that idea of the binary from there but I've also heard in for other people too how like like people can, like use non-binary first to like dip the toe into again quote unquote I don't want to like define the experience but like just start exploring their identity that like feels closer to where they started with their sort of binary ascribed identity and then from there going further and further away and realizing again like we can explore further beyond that and so it's such an interesting like thing about like how this idea of like gender diversity can be like a sort of way to like slowly get in to like exploring your identity yeah. or also like a way to like pull back from like going the other binary direction and it's just such an interesting like understanding of how gender diversity allows us to break out of these boxes but we can come at it from different ways 
Oh my gosh. I feel like I could nerd out with you about this forever. <laughs> it's so funny. It's, I'm literally, it's just one of those things that I'm really, you know, it's just captured my brain a lot in the last, like, few, it's something that I've always kind of felt, but like it's been capturing my brain more and more in part in response to like the like huge culture of anti-transness that has like been created nowadays where again, yes. I've did a whole thing on Matt Walsh specifically. I won't need to talk about him specifically, but just to use him specifically in this in instance, like he is a person who's just so much like there's the truth, the nature tells all and like trying to like create, trying to create ways to like make bounds on reality and say like there's reality is confined in these ways to make themselves feel more comfortable. That's a lot of what anti-trans bigotry is just trying to make the world make sense in very limited ways. Come on, And then capitalism helps that with like, we can sell, we can, if we make things limited and put it in a box, we can sell that box in whatever mm -hmm. way, shape or form. It is like put like a genre of TV show in this way, or like sell like these things to women, like make it pink and like sell it to women, that sort of like that way you can commodify it. Yeah. When in reality, humanity and nature and life is ineffable. And all we're trying to do is find limited ways to describe things that are beyond limited description. Yeah. Got super philosophy, philosophical. It's so good though. I love it. Like, I mean, I don't know. I feel like gender is a whole galaxy of options. Like I wrote a raid message for my friends at the transverse and I, and it's like, we're here to expand your gender galaxy because their channel is more like universe themed. Mine is like hats and non-binary flags, lol. But theirs is more like, you know, spas, the fun of fun hall. And, you know, <laughs> but yeah, I do. I love using like the umbrella term non-binary as a way to expand, right? Because there's not only gender identity, there's also gender presentation and mm -hmm. like pronouns. And none of those have to match and they can change over time or day by day. And yeah. so it's like, I don't know. I think it's really fun. I think, I think it's so really too. fun. Yeah. One of the most beautiful ways that I heard gender described was a few years ago. I ran across it. I don't think it was in like from them, but I've discovered it from them. Ash Hardell did a great book called the LGBT ABCs of LGBT. Ash Hardell being another wonderful YouTuber who has since mo generally moved on from YouTube. And I've talked to them a bunch and they're wonderful. But in their book, they had someone that they talked to describe gender as a gender galaxy, which I think you just alluded to or mentioned where it's like yeah. there are different like think of like different genders or different ways of describing yourself as like different planets that have their own pulls and their own gravities. And all we are as people are just people zooming through the galaxy, sometimes caught in different gravity wells. And sometimes some people are more caught in a gravity well of like, like this gender of like, you know, binary, but sometimes like it's elliptical and it can go around and like not necessarily always be right close to it. Or sometimes we're just free floating comets going near different things as we go throughout the solar system. And sometimes we're closer to this idea and this idea. And I think that's just, uh, I think it's a really sort of like beautiful way of thinking uh, about gender. Yeah, I love that. So my next question for you is, what do you think about masculinity as a trans woman? You've already said some of it, but I don't know mm -hmm. if there's more you have to say. I mean, I have so much more that I have to say. And it's, again, it's something that I'm thinking about, like, you know, it's, the way I think about masculinity right now is just a lot of the ways that masculinity is placed upon people and it's especially like people who are seen as men in our society and told that they have to live up to this ideal and how that causes a lot of like the pain that a lot of people feel internally and a lot of the ways that they sort of push that out on other people. You know, it's something that I'm trying to like to articulate and think about nowadays. You know, one of the ways I think about it is just I see a lot of 
anti-trans bigotry and I'm not this is not necessarily to excuse it but just to like understand it is just so many people getting angry at the idea of a trans woman being able to like I think I'll steal from Abigail Thorne, who has a video coming out on Friday that I saw on Nebula that like she describes it as just like a trans woman's taking taking this masculinity, all these things that we have to be and just going and like just letting it go. And like that feels so freeing. And that idea can be very anger inducing for especially yeah. a lot of men who feel like they have to live up to this ideal of manliness. Um, and cis and men or all men? I think all men feel it in a lot of ways, but cis men specifically. And I should be very clear. Like I think it, it's it comes out in different ways. And I want to be very yeah. clear about that. But like a lot of when I talk about this specifically, I'm talking about the a lot of like men who I'm kind of talking about toxic masculinity, right? But I'm trying to get at it in a way that's sort of less like I'm, you know, your audience here and people that we're talking to understand that concept, right? Yeah. But I also know that a lot of people like into like, you're saying all oh, masculinity is bad. It's like, no, it's talking about like how this idea of having to live up to a certain level of masculinity is inherently harmful and causes you to reverberates out in causing pain to yourself and causing pain to others. But also trying to like, but I think a lot of the big problem that our society today has with dealing with masculinity is we don't offer people who are so wrapped up in the idea of what masculinity has to be a new way of thinking about masculinity. And I'm t- again, I'm talking mostly about cis men, but like, because when you, because of so much of our society has like equated toxic masculinity and what that ideal is as the only way masculinity can be when you attack that idea, right. use, people equate it with attacking all masculinity. Yeah. And so I think the way I think about masculinity today is like, trying to create a new way to talk about masculinity in a way that allows us to reframe it. But also going back to what I was saying before, even that idea is sort of like you're trying to create a boundary on something that inherently doesn't have a boundary because people can just exist as themselves. There's no need, even if you're born seen as a cis man, there's no need to live up to any form of masculinity whatsoever. It's a concept that is trying to commodify it for you. So it's like, Again, this idea of trying to create language that allows people to not feel like they have this anxiety of not living up to something, but also knowing that language is always going to be inherently limited too. It's just a constant, it's a constant push and pull in an interesting way. Yeah. Masculinity is what you make it. Exactly. I love that. That's beautiful. (laughs) Right next to my little Transylvian on my (laughs) tea mug over here. So Jesse... Do you feel like masculinity is something to integrate into your womanhood, especially a decade or so into transitioning? Yeah. I mean, that's what I was just talking about too, right? Like I went hyper, like hyper binary, hyper femme when I first came out and I've since more been like exploring beyond that. And I don't necessarily know if I would like, I now is like, I'm exploring, I wouldn't necessarily call it masculinity for myself, just sort of like exploring my identity beyond needing to, to, to like describe it that way but there are some who like i feel like i would describe it that way too to help them understand me and also help them maybe understand themselves a little bit better to like come to terms with like maybe if they're wrestling with their own masculinity or are thinking masculinity so like for me exploring it i don't know if i would necessarily put it in those terms but for me describing it to someone else may i be like yeah i feel like an element of what you might think of as masculinity might come into my identity and how I express myself and think about myself in a way that I think is like fun and freeing and joyful in its own way. And rediscovering those things is kind of interesting. Yeah. I love that. Okay. We're going to pivot. We're going to talk about. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm so excited. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Why are you drawn to Star Trek? This is very open-ended. 
so many, I mean, there's a bunch of different things. One, I'm also on the autism spectrum. So like very clearly it is a thing that has captured my like hyper attention. <laughs> like a lot, since I was a kid, it's, you know, as a kid, I was encountered it when my dad introduced it to me in a really weird way. I got into it from the audiobook of Star Trek Nemesis, which is a weird way to enter Star Trek. But when, as a kid, it was just this like holy full world that like I could just constantly explore and go deep dives on and read all the books and like learn all this information about. And like for a young kid on the autism spectrum, just like, oh, cool. There's all these things that I can learn is such a cool thing. And then two other things too, that just drew me to it as a kid is one at that time, like Star Trek gave me the language. Like we're talking about language and how language allows us to understand ourselves and describe ourselves. Star Trek was one of the few shows that I found that like felt like I could resonate with existing in this world in a way that felt like not like I was limited by who I was. So like I looked at characters like Jetsia Dax in Deep Space Nine, who for those of you in the audience who don't know, like she is a character who through weird alien metaphor has like an alien slug in her body that gives her memories of past lives. And in her past life, she was seen as a man and mm -hmm. lots of people around her knew her as a man. So that's very clear, like a trans metaphor there. Yeah. And she is also a woman who is like very confident in her womanhood, but also like not against like showcasing like what we again would describe as like masculine traits like she beats up Klingons and goes in Klingon battles and she you know she like like fights people all the time but then she'll also like wear the hottest dress to her wedding ceremony it's and it's like it's awesome like seeing her was like oh she became this like this aspirational idea but then Star Trek itself as a franchise is just characters so steeped in people who feel othered like Spock or Seven of Nine or Data, who, who are just people in society who are othered. And yet in Star Trek, they sometimes face discrimination, sometimes face misunderstandings. But at the end of the day, everyone around them is working to accept them for who they are. And their struggles often with their otherness are often internal. And the yeah. external element of it, which can come into it sometimes with like Data facing discrimination as an android and things in some episodes. But a lot of the time, their wrestling with identity is solely internal. And so it removes that idea of this aspect of society placing placing this hindrance upon you and so that was just so wonderful to see as a kid but then you know growing older what i've also realized that star trek gave me is two things is you know that idea of this aspirational society that humanity can and strive for has become my guiding ethos and a lot of my dreams and hopes and advocacy because I do believe that like the way to create action and change the world is always hope for a better future and hope better future is possible. And Star Trek as a franchise has always had that aspirational future. And yet at the same, and it's always been about community and about people being stronger together, infinite diversity of combinations. That's why I got it tattooed on my wrist, literally that it's the Star Trek motto. You know, Gene Roddenberry created Star Trek was, he said like his phrase was like, we humanity will only be able to go to the stars when she learned to take delight in the differences of others and the differences of, of life forms. And yet one other element of it that I love so much too is another quote from Star Trek that is, you know, we, we must always strive to be more than we are. We will never reach our ultimate goal, but the struggle is yields its own rewards. And that sort of goes to this idea like humanity will never be perfect. None of us will ever be perfect. We're always going to fall. We're always going to fail, but we always try to be better. People always say Star Trek is about a utopia. And it's like, no, it's not a utopia. There's many problems in that society, but it's a society where people work to try to make things better always instead of like trying to be self-centered they always try to work to be more accommodating more understanding more ho helpful even when it's sometimes that they fail at that and i think that's such a beautiful way to think about hu human society is like if we do take the light and differences of others and put that first and foremost community first and foremost that is what we can we can aspire to 
And just the last piece of it, you know, why I love talking about Star Trek as a franchise is both within its own stories, but also in talking about it as a work of art that is being created, you can have these conversations because Star Trek itself failed at these goals a lot of the time too. There were people behind the scenes who did some pretty terrible stuff to people. There were people trying to do really wonderful things, but failed to live up to their ideals at times. The show itself wrote stories that were sometimes transphobic, sometimes racist, sometimes sexist, but it's always a franchise that like tried to address these things, tried to not ignore them, but move forward with them. And I think that it even comes into modern Star Trek too. And I think that's why I love this franchise so much because it just encapsulates all of that in so many beautiful ways. It's absolutely one of my favorite franchises like of all time. Yeah. You know, we when the pandemic lockdown started a couple of years ago, my wife and I rewatched all of the next generation, like oh as God. our first yes. thing that we binged together. And I remember this one episode that was very strange about it seemed like I don't know, like detransitioning or like they didn't want this person to be either the sexuality or gender that they were. Oh, which, is this like, the, the outcast, Soren? It probably the non-binary is. alien. Yeah, where, like it ends on like them getting essentially conversion therapy and saying like conversion therapy is real sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. It and you know I think about that episode and then I think about how in some of the most contemporary like Star Trek Discovery, I think it's Discovery, mm -hmm. where they have non-binary characters in the cast played by non-binary actors and how far yeah. they've come as a franchise as well is really yeah cool. and and how still far it like needs to go too yeah. like it, like even like what was i um two things in like modern star trek if you want to talk about that like i think it's done a great job of like having so many queer people like you have non-binary people in the cast of discovery you have gay men a gay men of color trans people of color trans masculine people in that series lesbians as well like there's just so much diversity just in in the queer world but also even beyond that with like other cultures and identities and people of color within that series is also really wonderful it's so diverse and yet it sometimes fails too. like Discovery did a barrier gay storyline in the first season in a really horrific and traumatizing way to like watch. They like kill spoilers for that show. They kill a black gay man really kind of horrifically in that first season. But then, as I was talking about before, the show recognizes it and tries to do better. The showrunners saw that, addressed it and brought the character back and like tried to not erase that aspect, like had him deal with the trauma of it. But also trying to acknowledge the problems that it had too. And then also like things like with the non-binary character, like, you know, there's some, there's the scene where like the non-binary character shares their pronouns, but it was also a little bit like you, some people saw it even within, like there were the anti-woke people who were like, oh, you're, you're shoving in my face. But you know, there was also some good <laughs> commentary, but like in the Star Trek future, is it sad that we still need non-binary people still need to announce themselves instead of just like being able to like be like be come into that of their own understanding and people allowing them that space instead of having to still need to like announce it. Yeah. But then Star Trek moving forward now has like had a non-binary character in Star Trek Strange New Worlds who like no one ever like and she's a villain character. Sorry, the actresses, she, they or she, her yeah. and then the characters, they, them. So apologies for misgendering the character. They are never judged for their gender, uh, even though they're a villain. Like even at one point in the series, Pike, the captain of that show is like, talking about the character when they know that they're evil and never misgenders them at any point, yeah. like doesn't take away their humanity. And I thought that's just a nice subtle way of doing that. And then like every Star Trek show right now has a queer character 
uh, or several queer characters a part yeah. of the story. Like Mariner on Lower Decks is a bisexual woman. Yeah. And yet it still makes mistakes. Like this season, Lower Decks had, I won't spoil for people who haven't seen it yet because it's still ongoing, but they've had rough issues with that that as well. But I even interviewed the creator of that show. Literally, uh, that video went up today. For and- your YouTube? Yeah, yeah. I got to today. That's so cool. Yeah. I know uh, and I got tonight watching that. <laughs> it was great. And I literally spoke to him and I asked him about that. And he like admitted, it's like, yeah, I got up a little bit. And uh-huh. it's probably because I'm a cis dude, like trying to learn. And he's like, and I'm like, I'm glad that like, he's open to acknowledging that conversation. That's what I love about Star Trek. Yeah. And the thing that I said to him in that interview, that kind of goes along with what I was saying before, that I love. And sorry that I'm a ranting person. I ramble. It's what I Please do. Please don't I apologize. apologize for being awesome and having special <laughs> interests in our general direction. That's literally <laughs> why you're you. here. Thank you so much. Special in our general direction. <laughs> Thank you. But like what I told him or what I said to him was like, you know, Star Trek in past had such a fear of queerness. There was, you know, executive producers behind the scenes like Rick Berman, who would like constantly try to deny queerness in all of its shapes and forms in a lot of ways and sometimes things eat through whether it be an actor choosing to play a character's gay or characters like alluding to it or like non-binary alien metaphors coming through but there was an overt a fear of queerness being presented in the series for so long and now we come to star trek today and there's so much queerness in that franchise in fact i think it's the most queer like major pop culture franchise that exists today and that's not to say that it's without not without faults it definitely has many but it is one that like is constantly trying to push forward in an aspirational way. And so when I see it failing, I have a sense of trust that like I can bring forward those like concerns, like fans talk about it and then the creators sort of listen and are open to it. And also that like, you know, for example, one other thing too with Lower Decks, I have a theory personally that the character of Tendi is transgender. She's my favorite character on the show. Mm-hmm. She's one of my favorite characters in all of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And I like read her as trans. And, but what the thing is, like, I even told him, like, I would love to have you make this character explicitly transgender in the show. But even yeah. if you don't, like, I feel a sense of, like, trust that I can do that and trust that I that's okay and accepted as opposed to, like, if I did that with the character of Dax, like, I know people behind the scenes would kind of deny that and try to push that away. And here it's just like, no, that that reading is accepted and then going back to what we were talking about before about not needing to label things all the time and non-binary expression and gender expression like like this need to like constantly be like i am this thing while it is necessary i think for a lot of representation today like people need to see ourselves explicitly in media but it's also nice sometimes to have characters that like don't need to declare that and can just exist as themselves without needing to have like a moment of like I'm a bisexual. Let me clearly state that to you. Just like, let it be as it is. And so I think a mix of explicit representation and non is great. And I think that we see that in media across the board getting generally better about that, though pushback from a lot of anti-trans and anti-queer bigots. And I think a long way to go too, in terms of like people like Disney sort of capitalizing on that and trying to commodify (laughs) it and doing it just tokenistically. Uh But what I love about Star Trek (laughs) is within its franchise is it has explicit representation and non-explicit representation. In yeah. equal measure. And I think that's wonderful that modern Star Trek allows that the conversation a lot more than older Star Trek does. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Everything you're saying is so good. <laughs> you know, the I didn't get to say this question, but you basically just answered it. But I wanted to just acknowledge because someone like sent it in the special way we told them ahead of time. So basically what you just answered is what are your thoughts on modern how modern Trek is doing, perhaps what it can improve, or with regards to exploring the galaxy of gender. Yeah. Um, so a great answer to that question. So shout out to No Angel 13 for submitting it. Jesse, how would you say Star Trek has influenced your experience with gender, if at all? I mean, I think I, I've, I touched upon that too, but like for me, it was just as a kid, 
I mean, it's again, it's just like different touchstones with it. As a kid, it gave me the language to talk about my gender. Like I relate myself to Dax. And even though Dax was not meant explicitly at the time to be a transgender character, it gave, she gave me the language to express myself in a way that no other media at the time allowed me to. And it just goes to why representation is so important, because once we can see something, we can be something. And, you know, while I didn't have a trans character somewhere to point to and be like, that's me, I had Dax. And because of her, I was able to just express that and understand my feelings a little bit more. And then that's what got me like Google searching online and finding things as well, which is why the internet has, I think, caused a lot of explosion, especially for my generation and uh, the generations past that an explosion of trans, you know, people coming out because they now have the language to understand that and understand themselves in that way. And so Star Trek helped me in that way. But as I've gotten older and have become, as you were talking about before, like more self-actualized, more understanding my own gender journey. It's allowed me to be able to express that back at Star Trek as a fan. And so like the stuff that I make on my YouTube channel is like me criticizing this show that I've loved so much out of love and coming from like what I've now learned about myself and applying it back to it in an effort to not only hopefully make it better, but also express my own ideas and thoughts, but also like bring other people into my hyper fixations and my joy and also yeah. like also be in that conversation you know I, I always kind of joke that my content is like if you are trans I'm here to radicalize you into being a Trekkie and if you are a Trekkie <laughs> I am here to radicalize you into understanding the trans community <laughs> or understanding yourself as a trans person if you are so like that's that and I think that those sort of things work in simpatico in a lot of ways because of what Star Trek is in terms of like how it allows us to express ourselves and understands ourselves, and also is a cultural touchstone itself for where we are at in our society today in our but still doing it in a positive aspirational way, but then also allows people who enter into it a place to see themselves and express themselves in a safe way. So it allows us to both criticize our society, but also feel a way to escape our society and live beyond it at the same time, both with, again, within the universe of Star Trek, because that's what it is a show. It's a future world that critiques our modern day and is about today. But it's also something as a franchise, as we look at it, like as people watching it, we can have those same exact conversations where you can see Star Trek failed in these ways. And this is why that's interesting. And let's have that conversation. But here's where it succeeds. And here's where we could sort of take these pieces and say, why don't we have that in our society today? Why do we not have a society where, you know, even if a non-binary person is an evil cackling over the top villain, we're still never going to take away their humanity by dehumanizing them and taking away their gender. Like, why is that not something that we recognize today? I mean, you see like non-binary people in news media today who are being vilified and like in for numerous different things, whether it's just being non-binary or like doing things that are terrible or bad. And people will say like, I'm not going to respect their non-binary identity anymore because they're doing bad things, quote unquote. And it's like, screw you. You don't, we don't take away people's humanity, no matter what their actions are, or what they've done. Um, right. It's just, yeah. Yeah. So. You don't even misgender the worst villains. Mm -hmm. It's not an option. Exactly. I love that. Jesse, would you ever write for Star Trek if they asked you to? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so Star Trek, take note, you have this radical non-binary <laughs> trans femme person who could rock your world if you just ask. That's the that's literally the dream is yeah. to work on Star Trek if I honestly my, my you know, I think all of us have that like one thing in our lives that like we always want to do. And I just like, I just want to contribute to Star Trek in some way, shape or form. And it'll be like one of those things that like, once I do that, I'll still have many more things that I wish to do, but I feel like I'll have this weight off my shoulders of like this thing that I want to do so badly in my life will be like, I accomplished that thing. I can die happy now. And I want to do so many more things, but like this 
fear of this thing that I want to get to do in my life will be off my shoulders. So yes, most definitely I would write for Star Trek in a heartbeat. I love that. All right, they've been put on notice. I'll send you the clip, I'll send you the clip later. You can send it in the email to the producers. So Jesse, I'm going to pivot to just more general science fiction because we do have a couple yeah. more generic questions. Why is science fiction a draw for two spirit LGBTQA plus folks? I think a lot for I think for two reasons. One, like the thing that I just spoke about, science fiction quite often is about otherness and like can we can explore our society in new ways and that often aligns with a lot of like trans people being like this society doesn't allow me to be who I am how can we make it different or better and science fiction whether it's whether if it's aspirational or you know non-aspirational like dystopic that still can be a way to like see what's wrong like have better ways of articulating with our society today that can under that we can understand and typically characters that exist in these worlds are others in some way shape or form and that allows us to inject ourselves into those storylines and i think in a way that we feel like we connect with in our today's world where a lot of like protagonists and a lot of other stories are like like cis straight white dudes and not that we can't identify with those characters but like when in a society that is bereft of often identities that allow us to sort of feel like the other person in our fictions science fiction is a place that allows you to do that and puts you at odds with or within a society that sort of critiques our modern day one and and there's that otherness part of it and then also like i said science fiction critiques society so even if it's a dystopic world like i think about cyberpunk for example a lot of trans people I think really resonate with cyberpunk as a genre because it is a hyper-capitalist world where identity is hyper-commodified and yet we have more ways to explore identity than ever before with like body modification and a VR world and virtual realities and things like that. So like that's a world that doesn't exist at all today. So I think like that science fiction, that type of like cyberpunk science fiction we relate to because it's like, oh, it's being very stark in its terms with a lot of the things that we feel today. I mean, like, you know, a lot of people, right, like see themselves, trans people see themselves in the matrix, not just because it is an explicitly trans film made by trans creators, but like a lot of what that film is about someone not being able to identify into the box that society has placed them in and finding ways to not only exist within this reality and find any ways to find themselves within this reality but quite literally escaping it and saying this system needs to be broken down and destroyed because it limits us all in different ways and like that's what the matrix is about and i think that that's why a lot of trans people resonate with something with that even if it wasn't made by trans creators that idea is resonant and it resonates with i think everybody in some ways and that's one thing that i always try to talk about with people is like the trans experience i think is a human experience in some way shape or form especially when we live in a hyper capitalist society we are all told to be a thing and to fit into these boxes. And we're never going to fit in the box because humans can never fit into a simple box because we are ineffable in many ways. And we all sort of feel like wanting to break outside of that box and tear down the system. And I think trans people feel it very explicitly through our gender because gender is quite often how we dehumanize and how we put people into boxes. But I think everyone feels it. So yeah. I feel like trans people resonate with science fiction a lot because it talks about these things. But I think everyone resonates with science fiction because we all feel it in a lot of ways, too. I have some specific fandom questions from the audience. So someone asked, have you watched the Orville? And if you have, what do you think of the trans storyline that runs through it? I have seen the Orville. And I so I have complicated thoughts on the Orville that here's the thing. 
so the Orville is made by Seth MacFarlane or like he helped create it. And when it started off, like I have a lot of issues with Seth MacFarlane as a writer because quite literally, you know, Aaronock, who I think I saw was in the chat. Yeah, Aaronock's in the chat. Aaronock did a video that I watched last night where described really wonderfully how like Seth MacFarlane literally did a story where like character has sex with a trans woman and then vomits and then also has sex with a dog. And that's okay. And so it's saying bestiality is less gross than having sex with a trans person. Wow. And like, that's very dehumanizing and nasty. And so that's really awful of Seth MacFarlane to have done. And he seems to not really understand why that was a problem. And so when you get into the Orville season one, I feel like that he, he, Seth MacFarlane himself is a Star Trek fan. And he wanted to try to have that aspirational aspect of Star Trek, but also was like to get the show made, he had to like kind of parody Star Trek in a way. So he sort of added his like family guy-esque humor into it. And, but I feel like because he wanted to have these conversations, but didn't really have the, he was not well-versed in how to talk about these issues as a cis dude who like didn't seem to do any research or outreach or discussion with any communities. So you get to that first episode in the first season, or I think it's like the second or third episode of the first season where it's about like, it's supposed to be about trans issues. You kind of get it, but like that episode sort of bungles the metaphor so much that it like mixes intersex issues, transgender issues, and women's issues yeah. in a way that feels very condescending to women and very harmful for mixing up those metaphors in a lot of really bad ways. Yeah. Jump forward though to season three um, that just came out. And it is very clear that number one, the family guy asking nature of it has gone away because like, he's like, it's already this thing now. So I'm just going to do my straight up Star Trek show. He literally hired writers from old Star Trek shows to be on it. Like Brandon Braga, who was executive producer of Star Trek Enterprise and writer on and executive producer of Voyager and one of the writers on Next Generation in some of the movies. He's one of the writers on the show now. So like they have a lot of like Star Trek people and Star Trek writers on it. So it's basically Star Trek. And what is fascinating about that season is I think they tried to do really, and they did a really decent job of taking that really bungled metaphor and trying to correct it in a way that felt like, oh, they actually listened to the trans community and actually tried to make this metaphor more explicitly about trans issues. And still some intersex stuff in there that is messy in terms of like exactly how they deal with it, but being much more explicitly clear about like how this is a story, how bodily autonomy is the most important thing and understanding a trans experience uh, about like being able to choose for yourself what you want for yourself is really what's core to like being able to talk about trans issues. I think they did a really wonderful job trying to rectify that metaphor. But I also still see with that, and I think it's actually really great. It's one of my, like, I think they did a really good job with the story, but also at the same time, I wrestle with it because they're still steeped in the problems of old Star Trek. It still feels like a 90s Star Trek show in that trans people that transness is only seen in metaphor in alien metaphor so it still kind of others us in a way it still says like we are like this thing separate from humanity and we don't have any like trans human characters like the ideal thing would be to have this metaphor that talks about it in in a way that's like here's this oppressive society that's separate from our own but we also still have trans people in human society can exist beyond needing to deal with that oppression and maybe have these characters relate in that way but it yeah. still otherizes us and then while it's still and it's still like and and also still because that metaphor exists, either I've seen people, because the problematic start of that metaphor, I should say, in season one, I've seen people take that metaphor and try to make it anti-trans and say like, because the way that the storyline works, just to give a brief thing, is the character in season one is a intersex person that they perform a non-consensual surgery on to oh make gosh. them a boy. But then they try to relate that to like a trans issue saying like, oh, she's trans. It's a whole, it's a whole mixed metaphor well, thing. Specifically intersex experience. Yep. But they try to relate that and then also make it a women's issue. So like women can be strong too, and they're not weaker. And it 
it got very bungled. And then in season three, they have this whole thing with this character as an intersex person sort of realized like I'm a woman and I wish to transition my body to be a woman. And so it's also talking about like the way that intersex people have their bodies forcefully transitioned. But then it's also talking about like a trans experience because it's talking about like she literally had a gender assigned to her at birth and wishes to have the bodily autonomy to choose what to do to her body after that fact. And like talk about like how her gender is sort of different experience from different people. But because of that, I see people taking that and being like, oh, this is actually about detransitioners and how the gender ideology people are taking trans kids and making them into a trans person. And this person being like, no, I don't accept that. It's like they take that detransitioner narrative, the right wing story of detransitioner, because detransitioners are part of the trans community and we accept them. And there's many different ways to be detransitioned as well. So That's I want to make right. that clear. But yeah. the right wing narrative of detransition, they take and sort of prop onto the story when it's explicitly not. And so the problems that I have with the Orville are, I feel like, because it is had a bungled metaphor at the start that they did a great job of rectifying, but because they have not explicitly tied to trans people today, like really like making clear exactly who this is in support of. And the writers have stated it is a pro-trans narrative, but because they haven't made that textually apparent in the show, it has been misused in by people who don't wish to see mm -hmm. the metaphor there. And I think that's I think that's even more important for the Orville to have done than Star Trek to have done, because the Orville is often co-opted by right-wing anti-SJW grifters say like, this is the real Star Trek. So it really would have been, a, I think it is a statement what they've done, but I think it would have been an even bigger statement if they were like, hey, very clearly we support trans people in this. And I think they do that subtly, but I think it would have been even more powerful to make that very clear. Long question about the Orville. <laughs> no, it's great. We have another chat, another question from chat. DJ Nerd asks, I'd love to hear Jesse's thoughts on the trans nature of Delen from Babylon 5. Oh, Delenn. Yeah, I, I'm actually rewatching Babylon 5 right now. So to hawk my wares a little bit, I'm doing a Babylon 5 podcast with my friend Wild, who we, where we talk about Babylon 5 in each episode of it. And Newt's going to get all antsy. So I'm going to, hey, bud. There you go. I think that it's really interesting because just to give a brief thought on this, because I'm still in the middle of rewatching the show. So I don't remember all the stuff that happens with Delenn, but I'm in season two right now. And it's interesting too, because that's the same sort of thing that happened with like what I was talking about before. They actually wanted to make Delenn an explicitly trans character, like have her be seen as a boy at the beginning of the series and then actually do like a transformation to be a girl. And they actually, in the first pilot episode of the series, they have like very masculinized makeup on her and they were going to do like a voice thing to like change her voice to be deeper. But then because of the technology that they, the voice deepening stuff didn't work. And so they didn't go that route, but they still have an element of that story. Whereas in one point of the series, she, uh, because there's this sort of, distrust between her people the Mimbari and humans she goes into a cocoon to make herself look more human in order to 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 appear more human just be this like middle ground and bridge between the two societies so there's still an element of that and in a lot of ways I feel like that you can read a lot of like trans stuff onto it like quite literally the episode we're going to talk about today on the podcast is one where there's like a reporter who interviews Delenn and kind of is very turfy about it where she's like how do you feel about like human beings who saying you taking on this appearance of humanity is like you trying to take on human oppression and like these people who'd be offended by you and it felt like very turfy in the sense if you put a trans reading on it in the sense like a lot of turfs will say like, you can never be a woman because you've never under, like say this to trans women, you can never be a woman because you never understand the pain that a woman goes through. You're just a man appropriating womanhood because they define themselves by the oppression of woman, like womanhood because they've so internalized that like that womanhood is defined by oppression and our identities are defined by oppression. So you wishing to be a woman is like you trying to steal our oppression when you're the, when you're inherently an oppressor as someone who is seen as quote unquote a male, which, you know, going back to how we explain gender, it's like we could talk about gender being an oppressive system, but we also talk about gender 
gender as a way to express oneself. So that's where sort of TERFs misunderstand and then use that to prop up fascist rhetorics. But so that's in Babylon 5. And I think you can read all that stuff into it. But then it also gets complicated too, because with her character, she is literally changing from Mimbari to human. So then you could even, if you wanted to confuse it, or not confused, if you wanted to be very complicated about it, it's like, oh, there's a problematic like transracial reading onto that as well, which like, it's just, again, it's one of those things where like the fact that it's metaphorical both helps the show, especially at the time the show was made, have these themes in there, but also the metaphor can be kind of, if you're not very clear and precise with it, or you misunderstand the communities that you're talking about, can also get very problematic. And that's like, that's a very much a thing with like 90 science fiction that I think modern science fiction is doing better about by having both explicit and metaphorical stories. And it's one of the things that I think the Orbill, I think is still a relic of in some ways, it's still doing better in a lot of other aspects. I think in a lot of ways, it's still a relic of that 90s, early 2000s style storytelling. And so Babylon 5, I think has the same kind of problems in slightly different ways of like metaphor being used to give a representation that others typically wouldn't get but then also because it's a metaphor can be otherizing as well as problematic in some of its implications as well. Yeah. Um, I also appreciate you like doing 50 million things all at once. <laughs> you should, sometimes I have a co-host who helps with doing words out of mouth, keep the <laughs> flow of conversation going while I'm producing and modding at the same time. I was waiting to see if the chat was going to ask any other questions. There were maybe some, I think they were, not serious actual questions <laughs> oh, some, serious some questions. jokes some jokes in the chat but i can ask this question and then if anyone has specific fandoms or franchises they want to ask you about after this they still can in your opinion what or which sci-fi series are depicting gender diversity the best of what's available today november 2022 uh what's what i don't know what do you think's doing a good job right now Maybe oh, sci-fi, man. I, but we could expand it to include fantasy too, if that is helpful. I was going to say too, what are the ones, I mean, Star Trek, I think it's doing a really good job. It's got problems, but I think overall it's really good. I'm trying to like think of like big budget science fiction stuff. I mean, like Sense8 is still one of my favorites that like, sort of goes to Wachowskis. And the Wachowskis are also problematic for in some ways too, for like especially racial aspects of their work. But honestly, I think the biggest push you're seeing today for like really good gender representation is in, in science fiction and fantasy is in like kids media. Like specifically like serialized kids media, like um, I'll just pull out a few dead end paranormal park, I think does a really great job. I think that you got a Hamish Steele who writes that is trans masculine and like the characters trans mask and they do that show does this good job of like never centering the main characters like like is the way that he is harmed, but also like still talking about how his family sometimes doesn't like is accepting, but doesn't really fully get it and won't like stand up for him. Like his grandmother is super transphobic and like the family will like not push back against that and like showing like how like families that are accepting can still make mistakes and hurt trans kids doing that, that like have to live through that. But then it also does that in a really tasteful way because it's like you never see the transphobia. It's only off screen. Like it's depicted like in like flashbacks and like you never see like a grandmother being transphobic on screen. You never see the character be dead named it's just all left in the implied and you get, it's very clear. It's not like, it's not like they're like leaving in a metaphor. It's like very clear that this is happening and what it is, but they never like traumatize anyone by like depicting it. And I think that show does such a great job of that. I'm trying to think of like other ones off the top of my head. There's a whole, like Owl House, I think does a really good job too of like just including trans and non-binary characters just as a matter of course. 
I think that's like they're not like hyper focused on. There's just a non-binary character that just one day is in the narrative using they them pronouns. No one makes a big deal of it. No one draws attention to it. Just there. And there's like subtle references to the fact of like like maybe a character will have like a non-binary like flag color scheme or something like that, which I think is really like a cool set of ways to be like explicitly like be like this character is this, but not like having to stop the narrative and like showcase like 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 stop and be like this person's non-binary so like non-binary people pick up on it we'll understand it and then also the show will display that character as non-binary so like the non-binary audience maybe will understand first but the other audience that maybe not understand non-binary issues or color schemes or anything like that will still pick up on it eventually and i think that's really good so i think like those works are i think doing the best i could probably go into even more stuff i think another one is our flag means death i think is it's technically not fantasy or in science fiction you could maybe put it into fantasy because it's sort of anachronistic history so you can talk about like alt history sort of it's thing it's such a good show yeah All it's so great pals are really into that show right now it's so good i love it what i love about that is it is exactly what i was talking about before a show that doesn't need to be explicit with like it's like here's the non-binary person here's the gay person but makes it very clear that's what's like that you have those types of identities sort of naturally flowing out of the way the story is told and it's the reason that it was so revelatory for so many people is because like on any other show you would have had like the corporation being like hey gay people just so you know we have a first gay character look we're gonna go put them in like people magazine they're gonna be on the front cover we're gonna take pictures with them we're gonna sell it that way to the gay people but like no it was just a show where just like you sort of like naturally watch the show and you're like oh these two characters are kind of having feelings for each other i'm sure i'm just I'm sure I'm just, re as a shipper, I'm just reading that tension. It's not going to be made explicit <laughs> by the characters. And then they actually do it. And it's just like this sense of like distrust that you often have with media. As queer people, we often have this inherent distrust of media yeah. that it's not going to represent us. And to have that be subverted in such a casual way made that show beautiful because it was just a, a casual way that they did it. And it just made me be like, oh, I can trust you to understand us. And that's just an experience that I never really have with a work of art, especially a work of art made by HBO Max, you know? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's that was, I think, a really beautiful show. So technically not science fiction fantasy, but like I sort of relate it very similarly to, yeah, I think that's great. Love that. The chat is throwing out a couple more suggestions that are only loosely in this theming, but the newest She-Ra that came out does have some <laughs> queer representation. Steven Universe has plenty of gender wonderfulness. I also just love them using she as the default pronoun instead of he. Yeah, that's like also for, really great. Like, yeah. the gems, like any, all the gems are just she, that's it. Um, yeah. Also, in case you all didn't know, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, that the person who created She-Ra and the person who created Owl House are gay married. Oh, I didn't know that they were married. I know I one of them so. is non-binary, I believe, yeah. actually, too. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think. But I didn't know they I were mean, married. Yeah, and one of them is non-binary, you're right, has had, like, top surgery and all kinds of stuff, made cute comics about it. It was wonderful. Yeah. So, Yeah. Anyway, there's also a suggestion that a young kid's show called Bluey is great for just general diversity representation, but they maybe don't have an episode specifically about gender current. But I will say I have seen some like clips of Bluey and I'm like, wow, they're teaching small young children about like emotional literacy and how to make amends and how to like I'm not apologize. even heard of Bluey. I'll have it's, to check that out. It's, I, yeah. it's cute. It's sweet. Anyway, so that's more kid show, less fantasy or space or sci-fi and all that other stuff. But I just thought I'd mention the show recommendations that the chat is making since folks later won't have access to the chat. So 
you also just reminded me of like if you want a clear example of like what i've been talking about too that i think is really interesting have you seen the movie wendell and wild oh my gosh yeah i just watched it this week it was it is cool oh sorry it's really good but it's fascinating and exactly what we were talking about here i think it's such a great like use case for this and actually now i'm thinking about it might be a good video to make because i actually think like raul the trans character in that story is actually i think a really good depiction of a trans character and does like it just like everyone treats him and accepts him you know he's seen as a boy it's just like it's it is just a great depiction of a trans character in that movie but also the problem that it has is that it needed to make it explicit because i think there's a one scene in the movie where the girls around Raul, his classmates, go up to him and then dead name him. Yeah, that. And then apologize. Yeah, and then apologize to him. And I was very, and I understood, like, the reason that scene exists is because the creators of the movie very clearly wanted the scene to be like, hey, in case you missed it, this character is trans. And the only way that they thought to do that was by having the characters be trans, anti-trans. Or trans makeup trans a mistake around trans people that like highlights how this person might be marginalized. And so it was like they felt a need to make it explicit when I feel like just having the character exist in that world would have been fine. And if you wanted to know they were trans, like there's more than enough context clues. Like it's an all girls school. And yet there's this masculine presenting person there. Like you, I think they even had like pictures in like his house, like showed him when he was younger or whatever that showed more femme presenting as well. And so like there's enough context clues where like it's clear that this person is trans, but the filmmakers felt the need to make it explicit. And I understand that impulse to be like, you want people not to be able to miss it and because that can be the case. But the only way that they felt that they could do that was by highlighting marginalization. Yeah. And so it's like this push and pull between how people only sort of see trans people being explicitly defined by oppression, when if we just got to exist, it wouldn't be a problem and it wouldn't be an issue. And so I have, I actually might make a video on that because it's just such a clear like example of the need of like how people understand transness only through oppression by needing to make it explicit that way. So I think that's such a great, perfect like example of that. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, I don't know. I'm imagining ways they could have explicitly pointed it out without dead naming. Oh, they definitely like, then they could have. Like, yeah. Like maybe he drops his HRT or like maybe he makes some offhand comment about you know the town is so slow that the pharmacy shut down we have to go to the next town over to get any meds yeah you know it's one of those things where like to like hrt and underage people and then people are going to be all up in a half also i'm also like you know i'm don't care if like it, we should challenge people in kids media to be like yeah hrt is a thing it's fine because i feel like that the reason it's vilified is because people don't like recognize it as an everyday thing i feel like the way you the, the way to like be careful about making it explicit though is you don't want to like go out of your way to do like this is the example you just had of yeah, like him yeah, like yeah. someone like like dropping these things it's like if it would still like be a moment of like the shit filmmakers having to stop and be like hey let's make this very clear and i think that's useful but i also think like especially in kids media i think it's more helpful to just see people being natural and just existing naturally i think it's adults who are unfortunately the ones that need to like have things made very clear and explicitly stated to them to like point them in the right direction whereas kids i feel like just like they'll understand because they don't have these like rigid ways of viewing the world yet so i feel like that would be such a uh i think it would have been stronger otherwise i think you could have like made it explicit but it's just like ways of trying to find a way to naturally do that instead of like stopping everything and sort of having a moment okay 
I just looked at the clock and realized what time it is. So I'm going to try to <laughs> ask maybe. Yes, I still got like 15 fewer questions. Yeah. yeah. So there's more content that folks have suggestions about. Y'all check the show notes if you want to hear some more suggestions. I'll put a post in the chat of the other stuff on this list. Let's see. I'm going to ask one content creation question instead of three. We could talk about your favorite piece of content you've made and what has received the most attention. But the one question, if I only get one that I really want to ask you about that is what suggestions do you have for generative verse YouTubers or content creators of any flavor who are starting out today? Or what do you wish you'd known when you started? So you mentioned earlier, like there is sort of an inherent distrust between trans and queer people and the big name media. And so one antidote to that is us making our own, right? Yeah. Like having a YouTube channel, having a Twitch channel, having a TikTok or whatever. And so that's part of what I do to kind of be the antidote to that problem. But I know that there's a number of people in this chat who want to share their gender diverse perspectives. And so, I don't know, for people who don't know, Jesse has an incredible amount of subscribers on YouTube, which is part of why I proverbially pooped my pants when Jesse walked up to the booth <laughs> that one day. It's like, what is it? 186K or like a big number. Twice as two more digits than the amount of people I have paying attention to my stuff. So if someone wants to be successful like you've been, what tips do you have for them? What do you wish you had known? Like, I don't know. This could be a whole I separate wish... interview probably, but. No, you know. it could be, but <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, there's so many different things because like, you know, success is just like so many different things. Like it's all relevant too. Cause I'm always like looking at people above me or like, oh no, this is, I'm never going to reach that sort of thing, but it's all relative sort of thing. And it's also like luck and privilege. Like part of it was like, I, you know, you know, had the freedom and money and time to be able to make a lot of content. So what I would say, what I would say is there are two ways to go when you're thinking about making content. There's one way where you just do it to like succeed. Whereas like you try to figure out what the algorithm wants, like what's the topic to talk about? What's the thing that's going to get you ahead? But I feel like the better way to do it is just to make the content that you wish to see in your out there. Like, like what's something that you wish to say? Good art, I feel like comes from you having something that you wish to express and you just express it in your own way in hopes that other people will understand it. Don't make something that you think is for other people, make it for yourself in hopes that maybe other people will see it and recognize it. Because if you make it for yourself and it's true to yourself, I guarantee you other people will resonate with it. And I feel like that's just the important thing to make. Cause I feel like a lot of people, when they try to like get into content creation, they try to like game the algorithm, try to fix the topic. And the algorithm is a cruel to gender, the cruel mistress. And it will never, it will never, you will look your way some days and some days it won't. It's like an eye of Sauron. It'll gaze upon you or it won't. But I think what's going to be more fulfilling ultimately is you following your own joy and what you want to do. And I can, and to be fair, I, two things with that, just to wrap out on it. Know first that your first work probably going to suck. In fact, it almost certainly will. And that's okay. We all grow and we all like we each piece of each work of media that you make helps inform and helps you learn to do the next one better and get better and better and better next time. And also something, too, on that, that one of my friends, CJDX, said in their recent video is like, make your best idea now. Like, don't we tend to think of like our ideas as like we only get like 10 in our lives. And like, if I use a good one now, then the monkey's paw will shrivel and I only have nine. But like, you're going to have more ideas. So like. Pursue the ideas that you have now and go after them now and try to make them with what you have now because you're depriving the world of that wonderful idea 
until you make it. And I think that that's this the thing to follow. And so like, know that your work's going to suck. It's going to grow. It's going to get better. That's fine. I still look at my videos and I'm like, dear God, I'm so repetitious. I make these words. I screw this up. Why does it have to be four hours long? Why does my hyperfixation not allow me to limit my videos a little bit? Like there's all things that we like are learning as we make stuff. And then two, the last thing too, is like, don't take money or like numbers or like view count as a quality is a barometer of how good your work is. That's something I say for myself. I feel it a lot too. I was like, oh, this video didn't get enough views. Oh, this video didn't make this much money or this like the watch time on this was really bad. The number doesn't matter. The thing that matters is who you affect by the work and like what your work says and how it affects people that see it. One of the unfortunate things as a queer person that you'll realize when you get into content creation is that you know, there's different expectations placed upon our content. The algorithm will also be hurtful towards you. The companies that we work with will also be very discriminatory toward you, even if they don't intend to be. It just they we live in a very in a society that says like queer people are equivalent to anti-trans bigots. And like we have to share space with them. Like Matt Walsh existing on YouTube is seen as like the counterpoint to like me existing on the platform as a trans person, which is not, but like the powers that be you think this way. And you know, we try to push back against that and fight against that, but like ultimately like we have to exist within it and that sucks it really does and it can be very hurtful but it's always an important thing to remember that your story is important your work is important the things that you make are important and just because the algorithm or the system doesn't like value it and like reward it with number like big number go up um, that your work is still valuable and it will mean something to not only you, but to others. And so always like follow that. And it's okay to forget it. I forget it a lot. Every time a video that I make goes out and it doesn't do well and it gets like the least amount of views on my channel, I like feel horrible and terrible. It's like, what did I do? What did I do? But that's not the way to think about it. But don't shame yourself if you do get into the mindset because our society tells you that's how you should think. And we've all internalized it in some way, shape or form. So be kind to yourself. And I'm saying that to me, (laughs) not just to all of you. (laughs) Yeah. Be kind. Some folks in the chat have said things like says, make what you want and to make Mm -hmm. and be honest. You're also getting some compliments. I don't know if you're seeing NASA. (laughs) NASA tech says she's the hardest working creator on YouTube with a huggy heart, little cute email. Thank you, NASA tech. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I think my whole deal has been just being honest and doing my best, which is a very autistic approach to content creation. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm not like like speed running strats or like super optimized it must be perfect for the algorithm it's just like i'm just gonna be me and keep trying that's my plan yeah Yeah. and i've just i've lucked out that like you know i literally like literally earlier this week i did a video on star trek lower decks that was just me ranting for an hour about star trek lower decks and why i love it and yeah i did terribly in the algorithm but like it was like this is just what i want to make and yeah and that's i mean this is just what i was just talking about like i felt like when i saw that i got a 10 out like it was my worst performing video and it felt suck it, it felt felt suck it sucked it felt suck i like that phrase now because like it's like oh number doesn't go up and it's just constantly remembers like no i shared this out of my joy and people like it has like people who watched it seem to love it so it's like reminding yourself that like it's about following that and and i'll be fair too i am lucky and privileged that i can make videos like that and like still be able to pay my bills yeah. You know, and I'm not going to deny that there is a certain amount of privilege in in my ability to do these things, whether it had been like 
the fact that I, you know, when I was starting off, I had free time to do it. I had money to be able to do it. You know, my background, like I'm, you know, come from an upper middle class family. So like the ability to try and do more and work at it and grow and learn is a privilege in a lot of ways too. Some people are only able to make what they can make in the few minutes that they have between work and like having to spend energy on like being creative is sometimes going to be very difficult to find time to do. So like, just don't be forgiving of yourself in those aspects and acknowledge your privilege and try to help others where you can too and lift up their voices. Cause it's what I hope I try to do. And I'm still working to get better at that. But like, it's something that you like always try to do better at. Is there anything else about gender sci-fi Star Trek that you didn't get to say that you want to make sure you tuck into this episode before we <laughs> kind of ask our closing questions. I mean, honestly, there's so many things we could have talked for like five hours. So I'm sorry that I'm sorry that I have to no, sort of wrap out. No, but, it's okay. Um, Obviously, uh, people should just follow your channel so they can go hear what you have to say about all these things some more. Yeah, that's what you should do. Follow me. Yeah, no. But yeah, no, it's there's I could talk for forever about all these topics. Yeah, it's this has been such a wonderful interview. Okay, two two final questions that I ask every guest. Can you share an experience with gender euphoria? I'll share a recent one. One I just really loved the other day is I got to be seven of nine for Halloween. Like oh I did God. the costume where I was like the silver cat suit and everything. Are there pictures and there, somewhere? Uh, I think I shared one on Twitter, but it was just like a cool thing to be like, I got to be seven of nine. And that was a character I never thought I would be ever like as a kid. I never thought I'd get to play seven of nine for Halloween. And I always wanted to. And I just did this year, which was really fun. So there was like. There's somebody just for you, like wearing a, a cat suit and being like, oh, God, my body does not look like Jerry Ryan's in the 90s. But Jerry Ryan's body in the 90s didn't look like Jerry Ryan's bodies in the 90s. She had, all the, <laughs> she had all the like stuff underneath that they like forced her into and like yeah. corsets and stuff. But so there was somebody just more for you, but, but also like it was just wonderful, like to like be like, oh, I can do these things. And it's just something that I'm reflecting on recently about like how these things that did cause me like express gender euphoria, like wearing a dress or something like that are now everyday experiences for me and how they just become casual. And in its own way, just recognizing how casual those elements of my life have become is its own form of gender euphoria. It's that's, I'll leave it there. I love that. Okay. Final question. This is your soapbox moment. What would you like to make sure folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary transgender diverse issues? I mean, I think I shared a lot of it, but I guess my soapbox moment would be like, for me, it's always evolving. It's always changing. It's evolving as I grow and it's evolving as society grows and things change and different things. So it's like my views today are not going to be my views tomorrow. And I think that's wonderful. I think that reflects like being able to grow and learn. And I think once we ever, if we ever end up saying, I think I figured this out, I think I figured gender out, I know what the answer is. Then I think that you you're either lying to yourself or it's going to like that's where you're going to be causing harm and hurt others too. And not to like say you're expressly, anyone who says that is expressly doing that because there are much more anti-trans people. But for me, it's just like, I feel like we should all evolve and grow with our understanding. So like, don't be static with your understanding of the world, I guess is the best way to put it. Like yeah. always allow yourself to change and be open to learning things. Because I feel like a lot of where harm comes from is people's being in, in unable to see the world outside of what they were said it was supposed to be in it like at a very young age and don't see the world in a very open and fluid way not just in gender but in all things yeah yeah thank you jesse so much for being our guest today this has been such a total pleasure yeah folks jesse is a video producer journalist and lgbtq advocate she's known for her youtube channel jesse gender where she dissects social issues through a geek lens but she also has written for GameSpot, the advocate out magazine skybound entertainment microsoft and more she's a huge trekkie 
We've got new videos out every Friday. Star Trek, you should hire her to write for your shows, <laughs> all yes. of them. And your socials, your handle on socials is at Jesse Gender. Do you have any other upcoming either special pieces of content or events you want to make sure you mention for the chat today? Nothing like specifically. I do have things that I'm working on. I have a bunch of videos, way too many videos that I'm working on. So be on the lookout. I'll announce them when they're coming. But yeah, just subscribe to my channel. I got stuff to, there and you'll hopefully see some cool stuff coming soon. I dropped your Patreon and PayPal in the link. It's also in the show description for those listening later. If anyone would like to go drop a Patreon sub, feel free or tip <laughs> Jesse for their wonderful perspectives. So before, before I read the closing, I just want to remind everyone that Jesse's actually going to be back on this channel yeah. on November 20th. We're having a very special event for Trans Day of Remembrance. It'll be our third year doing it. And it's sort of a communal grief event. So it'll be a totally different vibe from this, but we are reading the names of all the trans people who were murdered because of trans hate and anti-trans bigotry in the last year. And at the very end of the show, we're going to have a special showing of Ordinary, which is a film that my co-host made. It's going to be oh, yeah. touring with Sundance soon, but Ordinary is, it's like 11 minute small short film and it's really wonderful so we're gonna have like a special it's not even out to the general public yet viewing of ordinary end of trans day of remembrance so that's coming up on november 20th our goal is to be live by 11 in the morning but i'm wrangling like 12 plus guests so we'll see <laughs> we're gonna try our best so yeah so please do come back for that otherwise next week's guest is going to be Rylan, and we're discussing gender fluidity and plurality and what it's like being plural and gender fluid, the smushing together of those things. For now, Jennifer would like to thank our guests for being on this podcast. Feel free to join us live on Twitch on Mondays. Check out the replays on YouTube on Fridays and keep an eye on your favorite podcasting platforms for edited audio only versions. As my sweet cat Never Kitty likes to say, trans rights are human rights. That's right. And I'll say live long and prosper. I'll end, I'll end with that. <laughs> live long and prosper, everybody. 